thank you to our prayer team for doing that for us. And I encourage you um, to take and claim a piece of that blessing for you, that you can pray for yourself and for your family. But you guys, today is the first Sunday of the new year. We've made it. We made it through Christmas. Parents, good job. We did it. It happened. It's over. Is it? Are the Christmas trees still up in your house? Yeah, us too. I really want that thing down today. I'm going to do it today. Uh, you guys, we, we, we did it. We had turkey. We had gravy. We had kids play with the boxes their toys came with uh, instead of the, the toys themselves. And for the, the Welsh household, uh, Christmas is always a particularly kind of crazy time of year for us. Uh, there's just so much that we've got to pack into the month. It's, it's all the regular family stuff that you do at Christmas. But then for, for me and Adrian and, and the staff team here, planning December and Christmas Eve and all the things that kind of happen uh, in December, I mean, we work a little extra. There's extra rehearsals. There's extra work in December. And so it's always uh, crazy for us. We just plan for it. And one of the lucky things for me and uh, Adrian is that every year my parents decide to come up here at Christmas to help. Uh, it's like having a laundry fairy living in our basement. It is amazing. It takes such uh, a, a huge amount of pressure off us to have family come up and cook and clean. And, uh, and so we're really grateful that they do that for us every year. And this year, mom and dad, they were supposed to fly up. Um, here from Calgary and on the day they were f supposed to fly up mom calls me on the phone f like she could have texted me but she called me and she said do you have a cabbage in your freezer I said no is that a th is do you guys have a cabbage in your freezer no I, I no I don't have cabbage in my freezer I don't even have cabbage in my house let alone in the freezer. And uh, I said no, and I told her no, and she sighed loudly, like, oh, he doesn't have a cabbage in his freezer. And she sighed really loudly, and, uh, and then she said, I'll just bring my own frozen cabbage with me uh, to Fort McMurray. And so she put her frozen cabbage in her checked baggage with all of her clothes. And, uh, and then she drove the one hour drive from her house to the airport, and then she checked her baggage with, with her clothes and the cabbage, and it was underneath you know, the floor at the airport, it was gone, and then she discovered that her flight was delayed significantly. And so instantly, mom began to worry about this cabbage in their luggage. You know, typical stuff you worry about when you're traveling. And, uh, and she started to wonder, like, because she's getting really afraid, like, what if it thaws? And, uh, you know, and then all of her moo-moos and slippers and everything would end up smelling like cabbage, which is not a great smell. So she's really stressed about it. Luckily, this story doesn't have a funny ending. I'm sorry. Uh, nothing happened. It stayed frozen. I guess it's cold in the bottom of airplanes, and so it was fine. A disaster was averted, but it was close. It was dangerous. And it's funny how one small thing, you know, like cabbage in, uh, in our luggage can cause us to worry. Some one small thing can ruin a whole bunch of other things. And today we're going to look at a book in the Bible where that is exactly what is happening. One small, dangerous little idea had crept into the way a first century church was practicing their faith. And it had a potential just to ruin everything. Now, as a side note, uh, if you've ever heard me preach before, I like to like 
working stories from my family. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, uh, those stories end up involving my mom, Carol. Uh, and over Christmas, we were joking about it. She tells, she tells everyone I lie, that I, I make up the stories about her. I don't. They're all true. Sometimes there's a little tinge of uh, hyperbole or exaggeration just to get the point home. But they're true stories. And we're joking around the table that, uh, you know, Jesus used parables to teach people. But I use carables. Right? A carable, hashtag carable, trademark, copyright, all the things, carables. Adrian told me I shouldn't say that ever out loud, and I did it anyways. And so let's go by this church, this church, this first century church that had this dangerous idea creeping in was the church in Colossae. It was a, it's, a, it's a church that was in a city that was on a major trade route between the eastern and the western worlds. Thousands of people traveled through this ancient city, and its residents were greatly influenced by the Greek uh, pantheon of Greek gods and eastern mysticism. It was kind of a melting pot of, uh, of faith, uh, all sorts of faiths. And uh, it was against all odds that somehow a church was planted in this place. A church that was made up of Jesus followers who believed that Jesus predicted his own death and then proved and then it actually happened. And this thriving church was growing in a place where it shouldn't have a chance, but something was wrong. There was something that was small but was growing and growing and growing and becoming even more dangerous than they thought it could be. Some people in this church in Colossae began to ask the question, is Jesus really who he said he was? What if he was just a wise teacher and not actually the son of God, not actually the forgiver of our sins, not actually the comforter of our souls? What if he wasn't exactly who he said he was? And this simple idea began to spread throughout this church in Colossae. People began to believe that Jesus was just a guy who lived, lived a very interesting life. They began to, to stop relying on the words of Jesus as divinely inspired speech and started to lean on their own human understanding. The smell of the bad cabbage was reeking throughout this whole church. Now, news got to Paul that this was happening at this church. And Paul was easy to find at this time because he was in prison. Uh, so people knew where to find him. He lived an interesting life too, this Paul guy, right? He's, his story started with him persecuting Christians, putting them in jail for being Jesus followers. And then later in his life, now we find him in jail because he is a Jesus follower. Uh, so Paul, he's in prison in Rome, and news reaches him about this church in Colossae, and, and that they have begun to doubt that Jesus was who he said he was, and that the church was putting tradition and, and ancient rules ahead of the teachings of Jesus, that they had actually substituted the worship of Jesus but with the worship of angels instead. That they had adopted, you know, the, the, the practices of the community around them, the occult and the magic, into their way of life. They had turned to Jesusless alternatives. And Paul had never been to this church in Colossae. Uh, he, it's not a church that he planted or had ever visited. But hearing the news of a church losing its way, of losing its faith in Jesus, it weighed heavy on his heart. It agonized him 
that, to know that this church had so desperately lost their way. And so in prison, he sat down and he wrote a letter out to this church in Colossae with some unsolicited advice for them. And he put this letter into his uh, hands of his trusted friend Tychius and asked Tychius to deliver it to this church. And he hoped it would do some good. And this was a risky move for Paul, right? They didn't ask for his help. It's not a church he planted. It's a never, uh, he's never been there. The people there have never met him. And he's decided to give them advice, this unsolicited advice. And th this is, if there is a universal rule about humanity, it's we don't like other people we don't know telling us how to live our lives, right? It's just, it's, it's just part, we don't want to hear it from people we don't know. It's, it's why I've made the commitment to never, ever get into an argument with anybody on the internet, right? You can't win it. No matter how perfect your grammar is, you know, and no matter how much you dismantle their argument and make them look stupid, you're not convincing anybody to change their minds on the internet. It's just not happening. It's just uni this universal part of humanity. But Paul decides that he loves this church so much, this church he's never been to, that he's going to reach out and try to help them. This letter that Paul wrote, we know it better as the book of Colossians. It's, it's a letter to a church in Colossae, but we call it the book of Colossians. And it's only four chapters. You could sit down and read it in only a few minutes. And actually, I encourage you to do that today or tomorrow. Just go to Colossians, read it. It's really, really good. Um, but Paul's letter to the church in Colossae has two major themes. He wants to convince this wayward church uh, that of the absolute, uncompromising supremacy of Jesus the Christ above and beyond all things, and to remind them that in following Jesus, they can experience the life that they were born to live, that Jesus is important and deserves to be at the center of every part of their lives. They had lost their way, and Paul knew the only way for them to find it again was to point them towards Jesus. And he did this in dramatic fashion in verses 15 to 20. It's kind of a long section of Scripture, but I'm going to read it to you because it says it better than, than I ever could. And so I'm just going to read it in its entirety. Paul's telling them about the supremacy and importance of Christ, and he says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities of the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. That's my favorite line. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. No person reading what Paul has written here can be confused as to the point he is trying to make. Jesus is above and below, ahead and behind of all things. He is at the center of all things, and he is the one that holds the universe together. 
There is no replacement. There is nothing that compares. There is no equal but opposite of. There is no alternative. Jesus stands alone in all of history and in all of the stories yet to be written. Jesus stands alone. Paul was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. That he was the son of God. That he was the giver of eternal life. That he was the forgiver of sins. He was convinced that Jesus was the light of the world. That he was the good physician. That he alone was the way and the truth and the life. And here's the thing about Jesus. These things, these Paul believed about Jesus. and These things that Jesus said about himself. Here's the thing. Jesus is exactly, either exactly who he said he was. Or he's a lunatic. There's, there's no in-between for Jesus. He is either exactly who he said he was, or he is a stark, raving lunatic. Let me give you a, an example to, to help make this point. It sounds offensive, I know. Um, Jesus is not a lunatic. I don't believe that. But there's only two options for him. And, uh, last month, I put a vehicle online for sale. And uh, I, I did all the things you're supposed to do. I listed it and you know, did the write-up. Followed all the steps. I even included a Carfax report history of the vehicle. You had to pay $50 for it, but people want it generally when you're selling a used vehicle. And so I did it. Uh, put it up, and on the first day, I got a text from a guy named Gary. Gary, I'm using your real name in this story today, in case you're watching online. And Gary was interested in buying it, uh, and, and he asked me a few questions, about very specific questions about the vehicle, and he said, tomorrow, I'm going to be in town tomorrow only for one day. I'd like to see it, but the price is right, and I really like the vehicle. I, I'm really interested in buying it, and he seemed happy, and I was happy, right? Day one, like, oh man, this was easy. Uh, it's only been listed for an hour, and I've already got a buyer. I'm just cloud nine, right? A few minutes after we booked the time for the next day where he was going to come and see it, uh, he asked me for the car report. And so I sent him the Carfax report that I paid $50 for. And he said, oh, no, no, no. I don't like Carfax. I like this other report from this other website. And I went to the website, and it seemed pretty legit. It was cheaper than Carfax. It was $29.99 instead of the 50 bucks that I paid. But here's the thing. His real name is not Gary, right? And he was never going to come and see my vehicle. Gary owned this website, and Gary was trying to give me, get me to give him $29.99, and then he'd never talk to me ever again. It was a scam, and I almost got pulled into this scam. The only reason this, that I didn't was because then uh, Bobby, about an hour after made these arrangements with Gary, started texting me, Almost the exact same text messages. This is got clued in, right? You're not going to get me Bobby and Gary. <laughs> once I knew the truth, once I realized that this person wasn't, you know, really who they said they were, then it all came tumbling down, right? I didn't, I didn't have to believe anything they said. It's this way with Jesus, too. We either believe the things that he has said about himself, even the hard, uncomfortable, difficult things that he said, or it doesn't really make sense for us to believe in him at all. Sure, Jesus said some really wise things about love and forgiveness. He even had really good advice uh, about finances. And, uh, you know, he was a smart, he was a good teacher. He said a lot of really good things. But he also said some really weird 
difficult things about himself. He said, uh, you know, that he was the only way anybody would ever be able to get to heaven. He said that nothing in your life, and he was specific, not your parents, not your wife, not your kids, nothing should matter more to you than he does. That's, that's, that's tough to eat. He also said that he came to save the world, right? These are not, these are not the statements, you know, that if we, if we heard someone talking like this, right, we wouldn't, we wouldn't think that they had it all together. These are crazy things that Jesus said. And so he was either who he said he was or, or he was not at all who he said he was. And this morning, I believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And Paul believed it too. And in this letter to the church in Colossae, he musters up every ounce of his energy to convince them of this one simple fact, that Jesus is supreme. And after those five verses we just read on the screen where, Jesus, where Paul talked about just how important Jesus is, he reminds them of just how important they are to Jesus. In Colossians 1, 21 and 23, he says, This includes you who were once far from God. You were his enemies, separated him from him by your evil thoughts and actions, and yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result... This is good. He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. He's telling them, you knew it. You knew what it was like to be far from God. You knew what it was like to bear the burden of your sin and your shame. You, you knew the joy of what it was like when Jesus took that off of your shoulders. Remember it. Believe it again. Don't relegate Jesus to the black back closet of your heart only to bring him out when you're in trouble. Don't try to replace him with Jesusless alternatives like tarot cards and crystals and, and things that promise answers but never really give you the ones that he wants to give you. Remember what he did from you when you first believed that gospel truth, that good news. He alone holds the universe together. Paul is telling them, remember this and believe it and don't forget it. You know, yesterday, many of us made New Year's resolutions. Uh, I did not. I was too tired. I did not make any New Year's resolutions, and I probably am not going to. But many of us did things like eat better. I almost said eat more. I don't think anybody is going to make that resolution. Maybe somebody. Uh, eat better, sleep more, drink less, you know, uh, read a lot. Uh, lots of us committed to really healthy changes yesterday but this is this is this is where i'm at right now what would our coming year look like if we committed to putting jesus at the center of every part of our lives what would it mean to take jesus the one who holds the universe together and invite him into our everyday orbits to put him at the center of our lives at the center of our families, where we pray for each other, we forgive each other, where we grow in faith together. At the center of our emotional health, where he wants to sit with us 
and to feel our burdens with us, to, to suffer our sorrows alongside of us and comfort us. You know, what if we put Jesus at the center of our finances where he wants us to have all that we need? At the center of our deepest worries and anxieties where he can remind us of the peace that he made peace with everything in heaven and in earth and that, that does include us. What would our lives look like if we chose to take on each moment with Jesus at the center of it? And not just the teachings of Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus, not just some existential sense of Jesus, but the person, Jesus. The one who holds all things together, but has also decided he wants to hold our hands. That guy. Some of us today are like that struggling church in Colossae. And Jesus used to be the most important thing in our lives. He was right at the center. We, we prayed all the time. We, 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 we were conscious of Jesus at work in our life. We were always thankful for his blessings. But time has created distance. And we began to find comfort in Jesus-less alternatives. And the joy faded and our resolve weakened. Let Paul's words here shake you awake once more. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Believe again. And some of us today may have never decided at all to have Jesus part of our lives even a little bit. Today you can make that decision to put Jesus before all things and discover the fullness of life that comes from following him. In a few minutes, we're going to close with some communion worship, and so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and get ready to do that. Paul wrote this letter, the, the, the book of Colossians, the, book to, the, the letter to this church in hopes that they would put Jesus at the center of everything they do. And this is not a teaching that's original to Paul. Actually, in fact, Jesus was the first one to teach this. The night before Jesus was led up the hill to Calvary where he gave his life as a sacrifice for the world, the night before he spent with his closest friends sharing a meal. That night Jesus spent with his closest friends sharing the meal of they called Passover, an ancient Jewish tradition uh, that celebrated an event that had taken place thousands of years back. A time when the people, uh, the Hebrew nation, were in slavery in Egypt. They had no rights. They had no. They had very little culture. They had no. They had no society. They were these slaves within another country, ruled brutally by Pharaoh. They had no hope of a future to imagine. And Moses appealed to Pharaoh to set them free. Right. This is the story. The, the story of the God's people in Egypt. Moses appealed to Pharaoh to set them free, but Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he, he was not going to do it. And this decision by Pharaoh set into motion a terrible and wonderful act of God. God would send an angel of death to pass over all the homes of Egypt. And all the firstborn sons would die. And to Moses and the enslaved Hebrews, God gave these instructions, slaughter a lamb and use its blood to mark the doorframe of your home, and then share a meal together. 
with your family and invite anybody who is too poor to be able to do this for themselves. And then that night, you might know, you might know the story, the angel of death made its way through Egypt. But at every home marked with the blood of the lamb on their door, death passed over that home. And God showed them mercy. And the next day, Pharaoh sent word that the Hebrews were free. Get out, he said. Never come back. Death passed over. And that is the celebration, this ancient celebration that Jesus and the disciples are sitting down to celebrate this Passover meal. And for thousands of years, these people celebrated this event. A meal shared in remembrance of God when God showed them mercy when they were slaves in Egypt. But this night, this, this, this last Passover meal that Jesus is going to sh- share, he held, when he held up the bread for the meal, he didn't tell them to remember all the lives that were saved when death passed over them in Egypt. He told them to remember one life, his own. And when he held up the cup of wine, he didn't tell them to remember the lamb's blood over the door frames of Egypt that were designed to save a household. He told them to remember his blood, a sacrifice made for all. Jesus took this ancient Passover celebration uh, uh, that had been celebrated for thousands of years. He said, it's not about that anymore. It's about me. It's about my body and my blood that is given for you. Jesus took this celebration and put himself firmly at the center. And I think in doing it, he showed us exactly what he wants to do with our lives. He wants to be at the center of your life, center of your family, the center of your heart. So will you let him? Let me take a moment to pray for us, and then we'll have uh, give instructions for communion worship. Let me pray. Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us. Thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you made this sacrifice so many years ago for us. And Jesus, I'm thanking that we can come to this place today and Paul's words can remind us, Jesus only, that you are everything that we could ever need. That you have invited us, you know, you hold the universe together, and yet you have invited us into a relationship with you. And that you are so valuable, that you are so important, that you want to be at the center of our lives, at the center of our families, at the center of all the things we do. Each day that you would be, you wouldn't just be relegated to the back corners of our heart, but each day, each moment, we would look to you and ask questions like, what would, you, what would love have me do now? What would Jesus have me do now? That you would become the center of our lives. Jesus, we are so grateful that we can gather together and worship you in this place today. And we're grateful that we have an amazing amazing musicians that can lead us to worship in a building and, and a, a kids ministry with incredible programming and, and volunteers and, and we just, we're, we're so grateful for all that but this morning Jesus let all of the distractions let all the things that we do fade into the background in this moment it would be Jesus only that you would be speaking to our hearts and inviting us to believe again Amen
one of the things um, that we believe here at Fort City is that Jesus speaks. That he, he's not silent, right? He, he actually wants to lead and guide you. And sometimes, you know, it's just big, dramatic ways that he speaks to us. And sometimes it's a quiet, still feeling in our heart. But God, he, he, Jesus wants to speak to us and lead us. I've been doing a lot of talking today, and we've been doing a lot of singing, but I want us to spend a few moments together listening. Just, it's going to be a little weird. Just two or three minutes where we are quiet, quiet in our hearts, quiet our minds, and ask God a question. Where in my life do you want to be the center what part of my life do you want me to give over to you for the first time or the first time in a long time? Where do you want to be the center? Jesus, where do you want to be the center of my life? Ask him this question and just, the band is going to play a few a few minutes, just two or three minutes. And we're just going to quietly sit and go to Jesus. He speaks, listen, it's okay to get distracted. I mean, it's hard and it, it, not to get distracted. We're just going to spend two minutes, ask Jesus this question together. Let's listen for his leading. And in a few minutes, I'll give instructions uh, to come forward for communion. So let's do that together now. Jesus, we invite you to speak to us in this moment. Speak to us clearly. Speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, draw us to yourself in this moment. Where in my life do you want to be the center?